This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 458. And the quote of the day is, all good men and women must take responsibility to create legacies that will take the next generation to a level we could only imagine. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming. And beyond, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here, and this is the first episode of 2019. I hope you all had an awesome holiday and a great New Year's. And yeah, here we are. We are back and coming back with with thunder. We're coming back with a with a great uh, first episode of 2019 with Corey Fonville. Pumped about this. Been wanting to get him on for a long time. And I know a lot of you have asked for me to get him on as well. So we made it happen. And it's funny, I talked to him uh, off air and a little bit during the interview. But when I was doing my research on him, I just got into sort of a into a rabbit hole of just watching video after video after video of him on YouTube. So after this interview, make sure you go and check out some of his videos on YouTube. He His playing will blow you away if you haven't watched some of his videos already. And that's it. Let's get into it. Let's start off 2019 with a bang with my man, Corey Fonville. Corey, what's happening, my man? How are you? I'm great. How you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. You're the, uh, you're the, the first official interview of 2019, so thank you for being here. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, man. I'm glad to be the first of the new year, man. New beginnings. Get a chance to make some more stuff happen. So yeah, yeah. glad to be here, man. We're starting it we're we're starting out on the right foot with you for sure. Uh so interesting when I when I do these interviews, I always go and, you know, I read about the people or or, you know, I'll listen to another interview that they've done or, you know, just really try to to understand where they're coming from, influences all that kind of stuff. The interesting yeah. part, the difficult part with you and the interesting part is there's not a lot of there's not a lot of interviews out there with you. There's not there's not a ton of information out there. What there is a lot of <laughs> is videos. And yeah. So I just like I just went down a rabbit hole of just like watching videos. And then after a while, I was like, oh, I'm supposed to be like looking up information about this. Yeah, no, it's cool, man. <laughs> but I was just so I was so blown away by the videos. And I was just like, after I would get done one, I was like, all right, all right, one more. And then I'm going to like, quote unquote, get back to work. And then I would watch another one. And I'm like, all right, one more. And I'll get back to work. I appreciate it, man. Cool, man. I appreciate you checking it out. Yeah, I don't have of a ton of... I haven't done a bunch of interviews, actually. Um, you know, just a lot of footage, obviously, because of social media and right, YouTube right, right. and all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, this is kind of a newer thing for me, honestly. Mm-hmm. Well, but I enjoy I'm, doing it. I'm glad you're here. So let's let's talk a little bit about your about your backstory. We were just talking off air, like you're originally from Virginia. How did you grow yeah. up? Like, what what were you listening to in the house? Did you start when you were two? Did you start when you were fourteen? Like, tell me a little bit about your, your childhood. So, yeah, um, I started playing drums at two. Um, I got my I received my first little drum set for Christmas, actually. Um, it was kind of a surprise. I remember the day, believe it or not, in this like, video footage somewhere at my parents' house of like me going downstairs and seeing this drum set and like me being afraid to hit the bass drum because I thought it was super loud. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> you remember um, this? Um, yeah, man, I do remember. I mean, I don't know. It's weird. I don't remember a lot from that time period, but little stuff like that was, I guess, very special and stood out. And I can tell you, like, the first thing that my dad put on um, was this brand new Heavies album, which was a funk nice. band out of the UK. They still exist, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and because I think, yeah, this is like 92. So, like, all of that, it was kind of like this whole, like, it was just a bunch of bands coming out of the UK at that time, like Incognito. Jamiroquai, mm-hmm. brand new heavies. And so uh, my dad was just really hip cat, man. And he was into all of that music. Um, he also liked some of, a lot of the fusion stuff that was being released through GRP at the time, like the Yellow Jackets and Chicory Electric Band. So like I was being exposed to that, man. And, you know, I would just sit around, man. And like, you know, my dad would just put music on. He wasn't a musician at all. My parents aren't musicians, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, he just, just enjoyed music it. lovers. Yeah, man, essentially. And so 
he would put on music and just notice like, you know, after a while, like this kid is always sitting down and playing on stuff. And, you know, it started out with the pots and pans. And then so he was like, all right, we're going to get him a drum set for Christmas. So mm-hmm. from then on, man, it, I was just at it. You know, I loved it. You know, I couldn't get enough. Um, and, you know, we my parents, we moved to a bigger house. So I had a little more space. And, you know, one day, like there was this room over the garage that became basically my little drum room and just my dad had all his records up there and had the stereo system set up. And so like, I would just sit up there and play, man. And he would just sit up there with me and, you know, he would videotape it, you know, just to have that stuff documented. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'd be playing to all sorts of music from like Steely Dan to, to Earth, Wind and Fire to, yeah, like I said, Brandon Heavies and all that stuff earlier to some like um, Art Blakey, you know, kind of, you know, getting into the jazz a little bit, but mm-hmm. a lot of it was funk driven, man. A lot of groove stuff, uh, I was checking out even like Bruce Traveler at the yeah. time. Like that stuff was hot. Uh, man, I mean, Dave Matthews Band. I mean, just kind of just exposing me to all this music that was just coming up out of, during that time period, um, which I'm grateful because it kept me open, you know? Right. And when you're that young, you're a sponge. And so you're just taking in all that information and not thinking twice. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you think that not, sometimes players yeah. get pigeonholed like when they're when they're younger, maybe not pigeonholed, but they get they sort of get directed in whatever direction sort of their parents are? Because at that age, when you're like three, four, five, six years old, I'm mm-hmm. guessing you don't you don't have sort of the you probably don't even have like the ability to go out and like seek this stuff out. I mean, now with the Internet, I think it's different. But when yeah, you're yeah, younger, yeah. like if all your dad listened to was, you know, funk. Right. Yeah. And that's all he exposed you to. I would imagine that now you'd be like, yeah, I play funk. <laughs> right. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. No. Um, that's that's I mean, I'm sure I'm, I know it probably happens for a lot of people. Um, I'm fortunate that that wasn't the case for me. But I think I mean, there's I can totally see that see that being a thing. You know, I think I was it was a it was kind of a blessing that like my parents weren't musicians because it was just like they had my dad understood like cerebral music and like stuff that was more creative, but he also Mm -hmm. understood music from the common ear. So I had a healthy balance of both. So I was able to appreciate the stuff that, you know, the average person, the average ear would check out on the radio, but also like be able to listen to some fusion that like required some like deeper thought, you Mm -hmm. know, when you sit down and listen. So uh, I had a nice balance, man. And cause my mom, she's not a, you know, she's a she listens to music on the casual. You know, she's not like, oh, man, you know, I want to check out this record. Like, I remember being in the car with her on the way to wherever she would go shopping. I would go to the mall with her and she would have shot ale. Mm-hmm. You know, that was huge. Uh, you know, she pull, she wore that shot record out. TLC was <laughs> a thing back then. I mean, I was hearing all that music, man. So he had that perspective. And then my dad's side, my grandmother loved Anita Baker. So, like, I would hear that coming up as well. Um, sometimes she would play, like, Nancy Wilson in the car when I would go over there. But, mm-hmm. man, you know, I heard all types of stuff, I feel like. Man, um, you know, I um, I wasn't – rap music wasn't really that popular in my house. Mm-hmm. You know, I definitely heard, like, Tribe Called Quest a little bit, you know, because right. that was starting to uh, become a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, he also, like – I'm trying to remember right now. Like, I mean, he's my dad's like 53, so like he right. was more into like Morris Day in the Time and Prince. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. That was, he had the tapes everywhere, <laughs> so that was his scene. He liked the earlier rap, like Big Daddy Kane. Some of that stuff was cool because he liked the bass lines. And yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, some. You know, I mean, I it's, it's still everything. cool. It's still cool. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I love all that stuff, man. And it was, you know, just so be, before it was ahead of his time. Yeah. So yeah, man. Like I don't know. I was just into all of it, man. Um, I mean, especially like Earth, Wind, and Fire. That was probably like the biggest influence on me at that time. I always um, think it's interesting about Earth, Wind, and Fire that that I mean, they're I mean, it's Earth, Wind, and Fire, right? So they're huge. Yeah. But I feel like they don't get like the respect that they deserve. Like, yeah. I mean, it's hard to explain. That's interesting. But I, I, I feel like they were twice. so influential. Did you? I saw them really when I was like seven years old. I mean, this was when they they had that whole like 70s resurgence with like Larry Graham and like those mm-hmm. bands started doing these tours. And, you know, back then it was Sonny Emery on drums. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had never seen anyone do all that crazy stick twirling, but he was <laughs> yeah. killing. 
you know, he had the light up sticks and, you know, I was enamored by that. Um, but also, you know, I think I agree. I mean, it's, it's interesting with them because I feel like they were so amazing in the seventies, but they got pigeonholed into only being that, you know, like they can't release. I feel like if they released a new album now, I know they put something out about 12 years ago, but releasing new music, people don't want to hear it. Right. They they still want to hear the hits. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I can I can totally see that. I, I can see where you're coming from um, regarding them being, you know, not, you know, I feel like they're recognized, at least in my opinion, as one of the greatest bands of all time up there with the Beatles and um, whoever else. I mean, I'm blanking on names right now, but I I really, I put them in that category, but I can totally understand where you're coming from. And I do too. That's, and I think that's the, that's the frustrating part where like, I think a lot of people just look at them and they're like, Oh, they're just like some disco band or something, you know? And it's like, well, wait, yeah, yeah, wait, sure. wait, 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 you know, like these guys were not only innovators, but they influenced so many other people. Like even you look at Bruno Mars and you're like, okay, oh, big time. you're like, oh, okay, yeah. there's earth, wind and fire, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I also love Steely Dan, man. I mean, my dad used to play that stuff and, to me, that was so deep because of the chords. Like, mm-hmm. I had just never heard, like, I mean, Donald Fagan's voice is very different. You hear it, you're like, oh, I know who that is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the harmony, you know, behind that material was just ridiculous. And, like, you yeah. know, they had the the baddest musicians on those sessions. Yeah. So, like, you know, it was a little more grit. It had a grit to it that I really liked, um, just the way it was mixed. And so, you know, man, like, yeah, I mean that's pretty. That pretty much sums up my early stages, to be honest. Like I had a, I was really fortunate to have a teacher. I started taking like lessons. I mean, and it was very easy. It was like go in around five years old and just go play along to some music. And you know, he would just right. sit there and be like, "Okay, Corey, try this beat, try this groove." You know, he didn't want to put too much information in front of me back then. But mm-hmm. um, he was a guy named Larry Emanuel. Um, he's from the Norfolk Tidewater area in Virginia, and. Um, super funky drummer man i remember he was like mainly played traditional grip and like you know he hit me to like steve jordan and all of that stuff but he Mm. was super cold i'm trying to i don't really know who he could remind me of i mean maybe like a mike clark vibe nice kind of sort of like that oakland um, funk kind of thing i'd say so man i mean he was funky just like had all the ghost (laughs) line stuff and steve steve gad all day so like nice (laughs) yeah man so like I was Steve. You know what? Who his cat? His his cat was Steve Ferron. That's who he oh, loved. Steve Ferron. Yeah, yeah. So like, I used to listen to him all the time as well. So like, which would you consider? Would you consider Steve Ferron? Like, would you would you consider him a funk drummer? I mean, only. I mean, I don't know him as anything else. So yeah, I think he's like yeah. one of the funkiest dudes. You know, of all one of the funkiest cats of all time, in my yeah. opinion. Um, I mean, I did. You know, I go back and watch that like little clip from him at the Modern Drummer Festival '97, mm-hmm. um, the one with you know Tony Royster, and um, he has. I mean, obviously the cat has facility. I mean, he can play drums because he yeah. was opening up on that during that set that he did on that uh, special. And so, I mean, he's not just a two and four guy, mm-hmm. but you know, in my opinion, you know, his feel is what really made him, you know, that guy. Yeah, to get the calls. It's- it always amazes me when when drummers like yourself can can have multiple looks. So like, mm. I, you know, I think some people would look at Steve Ferron and they're like, oh yeah, he's the you know he's the drummer for the Heartbreakers. So he's a rock mm. drummer, you know. But then right. you look at like all the funk that he did, and and sort of wherever you came in along their timeline is like where you associate associate that person where mm. they are. You know what I mean? So for you, do you ever feel like you're sort of pushing one way or another, or are you just trying to just, you're just trying to be you and like give your look and just be like, this is me so that you don't actually get like put into a certain spot where like, Oh, he's a fusion guy or he's a funk guy or he's a jazz guy. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, see, that's, it's, it gets weird with me because I just try to be as honest with myself. I mean, I was really in the, I mean, I still play it, but like, man, I was deep in the jazz world for a long time. Like I mm-hmm. went, you know, just to fast forward, I know we talked about my youth when I was really small, but man, you know, once I got to high school, things started to get a bit more serious. And I started, you know, making, you know, I, I was able to participate in like national um, bands such as like the Grammy Jazz Ensembles, 
um, which, you know, it's like a, you're, they select like 29 high school students from the states and Canada. And you're out in L.A. for the week during the Grammy festivities and you're playing and doing all this stuff. And it's essentially kind of like the McDonald's All-American basketball yeah, yeah, for yeah. music, for jazz, you know. And mm-hmm. so you have all these colleges there checking you out and like trying to see, hey, man, what are you trying to do next year? And next Tony Rooster played in that, didn't he? He didn't play in the actual Grammy band. He just happened to be on the um, – they had him on that little special. I remember watching that too. Yeah. With Joey – and was, I think Joey DeFrancesco and – It was a few guys. I know it was like – I know it was definitely Eldar was on it and then Matt yeah. Brewer was playing bass and Julian Lodge. Uh, I'm not sure if Joey D was on it. He may have been. I'm sure he has done it. Um, But I just know that that was a turning point because I was able to see how serious kids were. Like and how mm-hmm. good people were across the country, and I was like, man, people can play. Um, you know, just all these badasses that exist all over the U.S. and Canada, and I'm like, man, okay, cool. And that was straight ahead. And you know, I'm a, I can't even front. Like, I wasn't in love with acoustic jazz yet. Like, straight ahead, I didn't understand it. You know, like I was, right. I was still like very much pocket funk kind of fusion groove stuff. And like, I was like, man, I don't really like how drums sound when they're too high. I don't know. I just. <laughs> I was going to say, what was it about jazz that you that you didn't like? Um, it was I don't, I don't you know what it's tough. I can't say I didn't like it. I just didn't understand it yet. I guess the mm-hmm. the, the sound of the drums, the dark cymbals, the darker cymbals. I like dark cymbals, you know, for a long time, but I just wasn't able to like understand what was happening yet. Like right. I couldn't listen to John Coltrane at 14 years old, and I'm sure most kids couldn't. You know, I mm-hmm. still like to play video games and go outside, you know, right. <laughs> and do regular kid stuff. But it was still like, you know, it got to a point where, you know, something just shifted. And, you know, I really took a liking to all that music. I was inspired by my peers that were, you know, in those programs at the time. And, you know, I got more serious and understood like, OK, this is what drums are sound like in this genre. And so, like, I started experimenting more and was able to play with other younger musicians and started getting more jazz gigs. And, you know, it just, it just blossomed from there. Cause I was always able to play that music naturally. Just, I knew the feel, I knew like what to check out. Like I remember, you know, I was listening to Tony Williams at nine or 10, you know, cause mm-hmm. my teacher brought that in. It was like, check out this, check out Art Blakey's moaning. And so I was getting a taste of all of it, just a taste, you know, just Which is interesting it. because at that age, most kids are like, uh, I don't want to hear, like, this is lame. It sounds, this is like old timer music, you know? Mm-hmm. No, and no, for, for you sure. to be open to it, I think it's yeah, pretty I've, amazing. I'm fortunate that I've, you know, I've always had an open mind to just music in general. You know, I've never tried to like just turn something away just because I've never heard it. I feel like that's what a lot of us do is like, we just dismiss something that we're not familiar with, like just mm-hmm. like food or other things, you know? Yeah. Um, so I never try to be picky, um, but that's just not my nature. But yeah, man, like with, um, you know, with time, dude, I just really got into, you know, more of that creative music and like playing, you know, in those environments with an upright bass and a piano and like learn more about the brushes, started checking out Philly Joe Jones, um, you know, Billy Higgins. I also had a, a really, one of my best friends, he's a great drummer his name is billy williams we grew up together in the same area and he's a little older than me like he's about three years older than me but he was kind of like a big brother in a sense man because he was so into jazz at that time like he already mm-hmm. was just like man you haven't checked this out you didn't check this out yet like i mean he actually put me on the robert glasper in like 2004 and i was like 14 years old and i'm like oh this is cool but like he was just hip to like all the modern jazz and like the bebop and um, you know, traditional stuff that was coming out in the 60s. So, um, you know, I was getting a taste of that from him. And, you know, so I started, you know, and he would let me hold on to CDs or like, you know, he would play me some of these random bootlegs from like jazz clubs up in New York that he would get from friends. Like, mm-hmm. you know, this is mini disc at the time. So like he would get these mini disc recordings yep. <laughs> and I'd be like, dude, this is killing. And it'll be like Rodney Green on drums and like Kareem Riggins or something, some random bootleg with Mulgrew Miller. Or like some Kurt Rosenwinkel bootleg with Eric Harlan that no one has. Nice. And so, you know, that's, you know, that's where things started to shift. You know, I was able to see the videos and watch YouTube because that started to become a thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, man. And so at that time, dude, I was 
all about it. That's what I did. You know, I was, Mm -hmm. you know, I want to be a jazz drummer. You know, I want to be like Eric Harlan. I want to be like the um, Brian, you know, Brian Blade was somebody that I started, you know, checking out. And I still Mm -hmm. respect those guys and love them, you know, all of those dudes. And then, you know, I eventually found out about Nate Smith during that time period. And ironically, he's from my area. I was going to say he's down there. Yeah. Or he was. He's from that way. Yeah. He's, I found out, I mean, I started hearing Nate's name when I was like 11. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, so I was like, oh, really? This guy, okay, cool. You know, once he got the Dave Holland gig, I was like, damn, that's amazing. He's from home, and there's not too many of us coming out of that area. There's a few other guys, obviously, but mm-hmm. Nate was a little younger, so like, I was like, this guy's dope, dude. I saw so, a video of him in like 2008, um, and I was like, how does everyone not know about this guy? I know, I was that's how blown I away. And he was Blown playing like away. some complex music. I mean, he was playing all the baddest stuff. I mean, his technique was incredible. I mean, he, yeah, the play he had so much control over the drums, and he was musical. And so like, you know, he was a hidden gem. It seemed like for the longest. Uh, I mean, cats knew, but you didn't right. really hear his name um, being thrown around. And like, I would always bring him up because I was like, yeah, Nate Smith, he's from home and he's bad, you know. And people would kind of be like, yeah, he's dope, but like, you didn't hear anything else. It was like he just right. wasn't. The flavor of the month back then, but yeah, like yeah, yeah. always has been killing, and I'm, I'm sure everybody, you know, always respected him. But um, yeah, that's my man. I love Nate, and, and he's that's always I, been, that's that's the internet man. Like, yeah, he is a person who who benefited from the power of the internet for sure. And yeah, and if anyone deserves right it, and, certainly him. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, go ahead. But you were you were talking about how you were getting into into all these different people and seeing was like seeing that Nate was from your area. Was that something that you were like, oh, sort of like if he can do it, I can do it kind of thing? Yeah, man. Kind of sort of. I mean, like, you know, him. I mean, Carter Beaufort, who, mm-hmm. you know, he's from Charlottesville, but another right. guy that like you're just like, man, OK, like we don't have the same resources as like a L.A. or New York. You know, it's right. a small market being down there, you know. It's, so, I mean. Have you, you run into Carter at all down there? I still haven't met that guy yet, man. Me I really either, would man. love to. You know, he seems like a really nice dude. Um, that dude's we like have a ghost. mutual friends. Yeah, it seems like it. You know, and yeah, I would love to meet him. Yeah, from what and, I hear, you know, he's like he's when he's not on the road, he like disappears. He's like doesn't answer email, no phone. Like that's he's funny. just he's just like he's gone. A hermit. So I'm not mad at him, man. Shoot, I don't blame him. Yeah, um, me neither. But yeah, man, like just real quick though, just so like back to what I was, the whole like high school thing and, you know, I did all those pro- programs and all right, so I get to college and it's funny. So like <laughs> I didn't finish school. I went, well, I did one year at the new school in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just wasn't quite ready, I think, at least mentally for that shift of being in New York City. Um, I loved the um, idea of like being around all these amazing musicians, but in terms of being in school there, it was too much. It's like, how can I be in school here and also just have all these distractions, like going out to shows? And I started getting some gigs. And it was just like, and I was playing like, you know, random little jazz gigs at like Fat Cat or like Cleopatra's Needle or Sweet right. Rhythm that existed at the time. And like, you know, so like, I don't know. Anyways, I left. Um, I didn't get a full ride there. So that was also a thing where I was like, man, I'm going to go somewhere else. And I made the connections that I needed, which was the most important thing in my eyes. Mm-hmm. So I left there and went to the Brubeck Institute out in Stockton, California, which is at the University of Pacific, uh, which is Dave Brubeck's alma mater. I did not and know so, that. Yeah, he started a program there probably about 16 years ago, back okay. in 2002. And... The first band, actually, um, Justin Brown was the first drummer in that oh, program. Really? Yeah, it's for like, you know, it's for freshmen and sophomores. And mm-hmm. um, you had Colin Stranahan there, um, Adam Aruda, another great drummer. Um, and But anyway, I was able to do that program, man. And I was in that band. It was only five of us. It's a quintet. And you select it. You audition. Everything's paid for. It's dope. And, you know, hands on. You have teachers. You know, you have we all have a teacher that, you know, basically does all the theory stuff with us and all that. Um, Yeah, all that stuff. So with that man comes like you get to select your guest artists like we would have, you know, different amazing jazz artists come out and work with us. Um, 
trumpet player virtuoso Nicholas Payton came out mm-hmm. and you know I was like 18 or 19 at the time and that's how I met him and he started calling me um another guy um who actually <clears throat> I just collabed with for the Zildjian Underground series um Kareem Riggins mm-hmm. I was able to get him and Kareem is someone that I really idolize he's one of my favorites um you know his work with Mulgrew Miller Ray Brown and Oscar Peterson Betty Carter the list goes on and then was commenting and doing all the hip hop stuff with Dylan. Yeah, like, yeah. I saw that, and I think that was sort of the turning point in me knowing, like, man, I want to do both. I want to be able to do it all. Like, I don't need to just be a jazz drummer. If I can do both, like, why not? Who says mm-hmm. you can't? Like, why can't you do everything? And I realized that's like kind of where I live. Um, it's just being that hybrid, man, because like I want to be able to play, you know, different genres, but play it authentic. You know? Sure. And what so do you think, I think that, go ahead. What's been the key to developing that, to being able to play all of those different genres? Like, do you sort of compartmentalize that stuff when, when you're practicing and shedding, or is it sort of like everything just flows together and it just becomes you and that's just part of your sound, how you play and how you approach the music? Man, I think the first thing, honestly, is just loving it. Yeah. Like loving those, those genres. Like you want to, like, I couldn't, like... If I don't know, I mean, I appreciate all music, but there's things that I'm like actually have a spiritual connection to. Like if I hear mm-hmm. it, I get chills. And yeah, mm-hmm. that's when you're going to hear my best. I'll hear the best me. Right. And so like, you know, um, I think that's the main thing is like having that love, you know, for that music, you know, for that particular genre, because it'll show and people will feel it. Right. And, um, you know, you can sit there and shed, you know, whatever you can shed those styles. But if the soul isn't there it doesn't really translate over as well in my book. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're not a real hip hop guy, you want to be like, I want to learn how to play these break beats. You're only doing it just to have that versus like someone that really came up on it. Like when I hear Kareem Riggins, you could tell he wasn't a jazz dude that just said, you know what? I want to go make some, I want to make a lot of money. So let me go play hip hop. He actually right. was into rap music even as a kid, you know, mm-hmm. like he just, it, it was natural. Yeah. And so it just like I mean so yeah it has to be a natural thing um, and say man some cats I mean they're like I'm a jazz drummer this is what mm-hmm. I do cool yeah, yeah, and they yeah. sound amazing same thing if there's a rock drummer um, you know so on and so forth and so like I think man it's it's one of those things where you just find your lane and like you know whatever you enjoy you just go for it mm-hmm. it's sort of the I, it reminds me of the idea of where people think what they should do for a career and it's like well you right. should try to do something that you love. And I, I agree with you with the, with the music. You should play the music that you love. I get so many people that are like, oh man, I really need to learn jazz. And I'm like, no, you don't. If you hate jazz, no. you don't need to learn how to play jazz. You should no, understand it. it's going to sound like it. that. <laughs> yeah, it's going to sound like it, right. But like, you should understand it. You should understand mm-hmm. how that influenced everything else. You know what I mean? But like, mm-hmm. it's like why I never learned how to play double bass pedal. You know, I was like, right. I'm not going to use it. You know, like I'm, right. it's just not really my thing. So mm-hmm. I don't need to learn that. Like I'd rather just play, you know, the stuff that I like. So I, I agree Same. With you for sure. No, I, I think I, it's, I, I, I agree it's a lesson. You know, I think it's a lesson that people, and I'm glad that you, that you brought that up because, and I'm sure that you see this too, that there's so many people out there who just think that they just need to learn all of these different things because like they'll see it on Instagram or they think that like, that's going to make them this well-rounded drummer where it's like, no, it's probably, it may just make you end up like hating the instrument, you know? And social media has certainly, um, you know, cause I always, I feel like there's like music and you have internet music, you know, nowadays we have these one minute clips that people are being judged off of, mm-hmm. um, which is not, it doesn't really showcase if someone has it or not, you know? And like, you know, everyone is, and it's, it's beautiful in a sense because it's a community now, like a musical community on Insta, Instagram or whatever. So, mm-hmm. like, we can all check one another out. But at the same time, it can get weird because sometimes it can turn into, like, let me one-up this person. Let me try to right. do this. And, like, everybody now is, you know, I don't know. Personally, I feel like everybody wants to be a producer, you know, make beats mm-hmm. now. And it's just kind of like, all right, how much did you really research this like did you come up listening to this stuff and i understand like things grow on us later on in life like you may not have been into like hip-hop or like into making beats or whatever it is and 
you find this, you, you somehow like gain a respect for it and you want to learn more. So cool. But right. I just feel like it's so, it's so flooded now with like all of these different artists that are like, yeah, I'm making beats and posting their videos and it's cool. Don't get me right. wrong, but I just feel like sometimes, man, it just becomes the same. Right, right, right. It's funny that you're saying all that because I feel like I have like, <laughs> I feel like I have like this secret, uh, like this secret weapon in my back pocket. So like I see all the, like I see people post all these videos and I'm looking at it and I'm like this 37 year old white dude, right? Mm -hmm. From Philly. And I'm like, I have so much hip hop knowledge that I would probably like, I'll go toe to toe with anyone. Yeah. Like, old school hip hop, new school, like everything. And so like, I'll, I, I'll see some of this stuff and I'm like, man, that's not really, or they'll be like, you know, shout out to Jay Dilla or something. I'm like, it doesn't even, I'm like, it's, it doesn't even sound like, I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not here no, to like, no, no. judge, no, but, I'm, but like, I would never, I would never put up a video of me like playing some like bastardized Tony Williams thing and be like, check out my <laughs> Tony Williams thing. And people be like, nah, man, that's not, that's not it, you know? Yeah. Because I don't I didn't no, I didn't true. go down that road enough. Mm-hmm. Man, I just think as long as you're true to yourself, you know, people will see it right away. Like yeah. I there's a guy that I I respect. It's a drummer named Micaiah McCraven. Um I'm not familiar he's, with him. he's out of Chicago. I think he's originally from Massachusetts, but uh I don't know. I mean, this guy just started to emerge on the scene about two, three years ago. Um and mm -hmm. You know, he has this concept. I haven't seen it a lot, but, you know, he does this, like, beat thing, and then he's playing drums. He's a killing drummer. Um, it's, like, kind of avant-garde. I think his father was a well-known uh, free uh, free jazz avant-garde musician in France or something. Like, his father, I think he's, uh father grew up, no, he didn't grow up. His father moved over to Paris, you know, okay. and became a highly respected jazz guy. And so, like, you know, he just is in his blood. And essentially, man, like, Micaiah just started to pop off like the past couple of years. Like, now this dude is in Rolling Stone. He's in Pitchfork. I mean, and he's playing, nice. like, all this amazing music. And, like, it's kind of got that same spirit as, like, what Kamasi's doing. Like, mm -hmm. those cats were just true to themselves. Thundercat, same yep. thing. Like, yep. And I feel like that's what honestly stands the test of time. Um are artists like that you know they're not trying to change it up because oh now we're we've moved into a new era so let's create let me try to change my sound like right to try to keep up with the times you know because i look at a guy like brian blade yeah you know he gets older and his sound evolves but man he's always been dope like he's always used old drums vintage drums mm -hmm. and like he's had a sound and like you can catch him with Joni mitchell or Nora jones or with joshua redmond Mm -hmm. oh, and he sounds like Brian Blade. And it sounds like Blade. Yeah. Consistency, man. And it's just growing. You know, he continues to get better, you know, in other ways. And so, like, those are the cats that I really respect because they stayed true. You know, they weren't trying to mix it up and, you know, flex in some weird way on the Internet. Like, oh, yeah, this is me now. Like, I'm presenting this. It's just kind of like, come on, y'all. Like, let's be yourself. You know, and I right. feel like that's what matters. You are listening to this episode free thanks to the good friends at Dream Symbols. And be sure to check them out. Go to dreamsymbols.com. You've heard me talk about them before. They've been sponsoring this podcast for a long time. They make amazing symbols that sound great and don't break the bank. Plus, you can turn in your old cracked symbols and you can use them towards a new Dream Symbol at participating retailers. So for every inch of symbol that you turn in, you get a dollar off your next Dream Symbol or Gong. Bring in two 20-inch rides, you get 40 bucks off a new Dream Symbol or Gong. So do me a favor, check them out. Go to dreamsymbols.com. As the drummer, you may sit at the back of the stage, but everyone knows the band revolves around you. Why? Because you set the tempo, the intensity, and most importantly, the tone. And the easiest way to set the tone is to play Evans Drumheads with Level 360 technology. Thanks to Level 360 technology, Evans Drumheads fit perfectly across the shell and allow for increased tension to help you find your sweet spot. Plus, they take you well beyond the normal tuning ranges for higher highs and lower lows. Now, the sound you want will always be the sound that you get. Check them out by going to evansdrumheads.com.
So I've been checking out the new Sonar SQ-1s, and let me tell you, these drums are sick. They're made out of birch, all right? Why, you ask? Because birch has balanced low, mid, and high ranges. So they sound really, really good in this recording studio, plus they sound great live. Now, this is some really cool stuff. They have a sound stabilizer system, and it's actually based on concepts applied in the automotive industry, and it's rubber to metal so that you're getting complete isolation from the shell. Not only that, the colors that they come in also resemble high-end automobiles. So they're all matte lacquer finishes. These kits are insane. And not only that, they sound amazing. To learn more about the SQ1 series, go to sonar.com. How do you suggest that people stay in their lane or figure out the things that they should be sort of focusing on? Because you know, I think we're all guilty of it. We get online and we see oh, yeah. 87 different people doing 87 different things. And you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I want to do that thing because that's cool. And then you see this other thing and it's almost like, it's almost like shiny object syndrome, you know, where you're like, mm-hmm. oh, that my, their thing's way cooler than what I'm doing. I should be doing that. So right. is is there, and like I said, this may be a hard question to answer, but it, do, you, do you have any advice or suggestions for people out there who are sort of like chasing the latest thing? And like give giving some advice of how they can just be more true to themselves. Um, I think I mean I can only speak from my own personal experience. Like I feel like one day I had this realization, like, you know, I think honestly it took me meeting Kareem Riggins, man, and like being around him. I owe him a lot, just in the sense, I mean, he doesn't realize it. I tell him I tell him a lot all the time, you know, I'm like, man, you inspired me to like take a different path than I was uh, originally going to go on, you know, when I came out of high school, like I just thought, Oh, I'm going to be a jazz drummer. I'm going to play all with all the greats and like do that. But, you know, I had some friends that I came up with, you know, in Virginia and, you know, and this, and the thing is, it's like to go back a little bit when I left, when I graduated high school, I was like, man, ain't nobody in Virginia serious. There's nobody down here. I'm going to New York. Like, you know, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, that's what I want to do. I made, a lot of amazing connections that I still have, and I, you know, and I, we, I play with these cats. I met, I met the right cats. It just right. wasn't for me. But man, it was just like, you know, when I met um, who are now my bandmates and Butcher Brown, it was just like natural. It was just like automatic. Like, you know, it was almost like you meet, you know, similar to when you meet your life partner, wife or girlfriend or whatever it may be, or whatever you choose. Like, you just know it's right for you. Right. And that's kind of that moment that was like defining for me where it was like, man, you know, maybe this isn't maybe I'm not supposed to be a New York guy. Maybe I don't need to be in a band with cats that are from that are on the, quote, mainstream scene that are playing with all these other artists. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I found it out early on. Some people find it out later. I was 21, I think, when Mm -hmm. I realized, like, that's what I wanted to do, because I just felt like, man. These cats, you know, we like the same music, you know, they're really into hip hop and like funk, old funk, 70s funk stuff, random, like obscure, like Parliament Funkadelic albums or like, (laughs) you know, some random James Brown stuff. And so it was just like, this works, you know, all this Fender Road stuff happening. And so, man, like I just went when I got when I went back home, um, you know, I was 20 years old. I used to go up to Richmond, Virginia and. I started hanging out with some of the guys that were, um, they were at Virginia Commonwealth University, which is VCU. Mm-hmm. And man, we would just go up there and jam, literally. Like my, my friend Devon Harris, um, known as DJ Harrison as well, we're in Butcher Brown together. He's like an amazing multi-instrumentalist and makes beats and does all of that. And he would always just give me these tapes of like his, uh, of his beats and like him playing all these instruments. And I just thought it was the funkiest thing. You know, he was recording straight to a DAT machine, so it had that dirt, and it sounded like 1971. Yeah. It was so killing. And so, like, I just fell in love with it. And, you know, from that came, like, some of the other homies that are now in my band and in this band with me. And, yeah, we just decided to come together, and boom. You know, now it's a thing people are recognizing. And um, so, yeah, man, to answer that question... I felt like it just, it took me, that was the way I found out. It just happened naturally. Um, I just just had to be real with myself um, and just not force myself into situations where I don't belong. Mm -hmm. 
You know, I want to ask you, you a realize... question about that. Too, Go ahead. About, yeah. and I'm sorry for interrupting you. Uh, no, no, no. So when you were in New York, right, you get there and you have sort of this preconceived notion of who you're going to be, right? And you're yeah. like, this yeah. is who I'm going to be. This is the path that I'm going to take. And then mm -hmm. at some, like the moment that you realize maybe this isn't the path for me, is is that a is that sort of an eye opening awakening experience, or is that something that you sort of struggle to come to grips with? Oh, it was just an eye opening. I, I was just like, okay, cool, all right, well, this is it for me. I went to California, you know. I was at a, and you know, I think for me, I was used to being in a normal environment in terms of like school, like being around just all musicians kind of weirded me out because I wasn't used right. to that. I was like, right. man, this is strange, like. I was used to going to regular school. You know, I went to my art school half a day, but I was a public school kid. Mm -hmm. um, so I was used to having friends that weren't musicians. And so like having the opportunity to switch and go to a small private university in Northern California where you have, you know, the Brubeck Institute, but it's also like you have the student direct, you know, the body student mass of like kids that are doing that are engineers that are doing pre-dental school or something or like, right. you know, so it's just normal. Yeah. Yeah. Frats and sororities. Yeah. So you're just like, okay, this is more of my vibe. Like I'm used to this. And right. You know, I, I think that's where I learned a lot about myself and where I wanted to be. Um, because I like, I'm all about balance, man. And like being kind of like able to be on both sides. Like I want to have my foot, one foot in, one foot out. That's me. Right. Um, right. Aside from like my own band, I like to be able to float around and do other things mm -hmm. musically. So, uh, yeah, like that's I don't know. I mean, that's just the way it was. Right. I think it speaks to your openness, though, too, where, you know, some people may shut down and be like, oh, I don't belong here. This isn't right for me. Like, did I, maybe I picked the wrong career. Maybe I'm not good enough. Like, you know, like all those self-doubting sort of like limiting beliefs yeah. that we have. And like, I remember talking to Gerald Hayward about it a while ago, like four years ago. Yeah. And he was saying that, you know, not everyone's meant to do certain things. So like, maybe not everyone, you're not, maybe you're not to, you're not made to go on this huge tour or maybe you're better suited, like being the guy that sets up the drums and you may be the best guy in the world that does that. And like, right. if you, if you fight that notion, then you'll never sort of reach that that full potential. And I had a mm -hmm. conversation with another guy, Matt Starr, who we did an interview a couple of weeks ago, and he was saying mm -hmm. the same thing where like he realized he wanted to be like the star and then he realized that if he was the the side man, he could be a lot more successful and it took him it was like a little bit of a tough pill to swallow and now he's like more successful than he's ever been. Um so I get this is like a roundabout way of me asking about, you know, the idea of of changing lanes or pivoting or, or changing the way that, that you're going to approach <clears throat> things and how to sort of deal with those things without going, going the negative way and saying, you know, Oh, I'm stupid. I picked the wrong thing or, right. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not good enough for this or, or whatever the case may be. But it, it sounds like you didn't have any of that. Right. Which is amazing. I mean, what's, what's funny, man, is like when I left New York and went to the Brubank Institute, which is in like this small town, it's like a small little city and it's, Stockton is like sandwiched in between San Francisco Bay Area and Sacramento. Oh, I know. I just moved from around there. So okay, so like you yeah, know, yeah. That San Joaquin Valley and all that. So yeah, man. Yeah. Like I leave, and once I finish the Brubeck Institute, I get called to play with Nicholas Payton. You know, and right. I started doing that. And from there, I started getting called for tours with like Jackie Terrison, which was like I had just turned twenty-one. I started doing that one. Uh, I mean, just a lot of the jazz stuff, and it was killing. You know, it was mm -hmm. great. Christian Scott. I've gotten that band. I've been playing with Christian for about five and a half, six years. And, um, you know, he gives me the flexibility to do what I want. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like all of that happened when I wasn't in New York. So it's just like, man, that's a sign. There's a reason for everything. And, right. you know, maybe I may end up back in New York one day. Maybe not. I'm not really going to trip regardless uh, mm -hmm. of where I, you know, where we, me and my lady end up going, you know, depending on the situation. Uh, but, you know, I just like, you know, I mean, I have my own thing, you know, I just want to have my own, you know, I have Butcher Brown, which I helped start. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I felt like for me, that was really important because I don't really want to have to rely on other people for opportunities. 100%. You know, yeah. like I, this is my business. Yep. You know, we have, we trademark, trademark the name, you know, just all of these things, you know, we're taking the steps and we've been put on tours and it's like we're, we're building something, you know? Um, right. 
and it's just like that's that's where I'm at. And you know, I always encourage. And I, I started, to, you know, if people ask me, I'm like, dude, just stay in your own lane, do your own thing. You know, if you can find some cats that are like minded, that have the same vision, you know, embrace it and go for it. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, there are some people that, yeah, I mean, they they're going to be, you know, they want to be the side man, or you know, they're they're going to be the greatest jazz drummer. And like that was what I thought would be me. Like I still do those gigs from time to time, right? But that that's not what's going to define me. Like I just want to be known as a great drummer um, that you know stayed true to himself, and I never tried to change who I am as a person or like as an artist to just uh, appease people, right? And like, or you know, this is like you know, hey man, I'm not perhaps I'm not meant to play on a pop gig. Like you know, I had a it was a moment in time where I was like, yeah, I want those pop gigs, you know, like whatever the hot gig was at the time. Like you see Aaron Spears and those cats that, you know, back in the mid two thousands that were all over the map and they're still doing that stuff. And, yeah. you know, that's awesome. That's killing. But, you know, I've, I've started to appreciate cats like Dave Matthews band and like what Carter Beaufort and those dudes built, because it's just like, they built something from ground up, man. Like yep. they started from playing in bars in Charlottesville, Virginia so now they're selling out Madison Square Garden for three nights in a row, and they've been doing it consistently for 25 years. Something to be said about that, man. That's amazing. You know, longevity. Yeah. And it's just like when you have cats leaving another tour with a major pop artist like a Ariana Grande to go play with Dave Matthews and be in that band, that says a lot because yeah. everybody knows Ariana Grande and talks about those type of artists. But now that cat is now the keyboard player with Dave Matthews. Right. Because there's more loyalty in that environment. It's the same thing with bands like Lettuce. Like Adam Deitch is one of my homies. And like, mm-hmm. you know, he's doing his thing. You know, he started, they have this band. And it's just like, I see how they operate. And it's just like, yo, they're like a rock band. And that's what Butcher Brown is trying to be. It's like a rock band that like with jazz sensibilities and has all these different influences. But, you know, we get in the van, we set up our own stuff. Right. You know, we have no help right now, but you're building towards something. Yep. And next thing you know, there'll be two guys helping, then there'll be four, and then you guys will go from a you know a van to you know a bus and a trailer, a and hopefully right. two, two buses, and you know that's it. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So that's that's where I'm at, man. And so I, I always encourage that if you know, and it may not work out like that for everyone because I'm lucky that the band. You know, I was in Virginia just up until two years ago, but me being in Maryland, I'm not very far at all. So you know, since the cost of living in Virginia is pretty low. Like cats are able to like, I mean, yeah, we may lose some money, you know, we may lose out on other opportunities, like some gigs that pay, mm-hmm. but it's like, you're able to take certain risks being in that type of city versus being in New York where, you know, you're like, I got to go play this gig or that gig. I can't really right. commit to anyone. Like the loyalty just can't be there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so like yeah, that, makes that for me is important. Um, and so I got lucky, man. And, you know, sometimes cats may not have that same opportunity. So there's pros and cons to everything. Right. I mean, I look at I look at guys like I look at bands like Lettuce and Galactic and like yeah. by like all standards, there's no like those guys should not be touring in buses playing at Red Rocks. Yeah, but they are. You know what I mean? And I don't mm-hmm. mean that in a negative way. I'm saying no, I know like, what you mean. If you look at the landscape of of bands out there that are playing at red rocks and touring in buses and stuff like that it's not it's not guys like lettuce and galactic but what did they do they tour and you know the story behind it you know it's like they got in a van they toured for 12 years back in you know year after year Desky martin woods the same thing you know like yeah i remember like stanton years or i don't know maybe two or two or three years ago uh we were talking and he said you know advice for people who were starting a band is like get in a van and tour for the next, put your head down and tour for the next 10 years and see where you end up. Yeah. You know? And it's like, that's, and there, and there's something to be said about that. Like those guys, like I remember lettuce was playing at like tiny little clubs, you know? Right. And now they're like, Oh yeah, we're playing at Red Rock. <laughs> you know, that's it's, funny. It's, it's I'm not sure if you're aware, but we were just opening for Galactic last uh, in March. For their tour, we did a we were on the East Coast and um, oh, nice. we did like yeah, and then we did the West Coast with them. So you know we it was fun, man. I mean they were all really cool, and you know you just see how they operate. I mean it's incredible. Every show was packed. I mean we yeah. were playing like 
middle of nowhere, Illinois, and like it would be jumping in like a nice theater. Were you part? Were you part of the uh, the throwdown that they did in the summer or no? No, no, no. Butcher Brown. We just were opening for them um, just in the spring. We didn't do okay. anything else after that. And then, okay. So yeah, man. I mean, just just to go off of what you're saying, like that's what it's about. Because you have more to show for in the end mm-hmm. than just you know. Oh man, I played with so and so artists. Because like for me, it's like no one is coming to those shows with so and so pop artists to see you. And it's like right. you can play all this bad stuff on stage, but you're like way in the back. Nobody cares. You can be replaced. Right. If the management isn't like is not is not messing with you, you're out. No find somebody else. And it's just like, but nobody can replace you in your own band. <laughs> right. I mean, I always think about that. Like, you know, it's like I guess it was two years ago or something. Uh, Justin Bieber just like canceled his tour, like in the middle of the mm-hmm. tour, and See? every single person was going home. And exactly, I mean, it's almost like the government shutdown, man. Like, yeah, it's out of work right yeah. now. It's essentially, I mean, it's just like, well, you're not in control of this. Like, someone else, higher power, has all the control of what's going down. And like, right, you know, I hear it all the time. I mean, artists, you know, the the, the musicians show up to rehearsal at center stage in L.A. or something, and then it'll be like the they'll show up and a new band is in there on all of their instruments, and it's just like they're looking around like, what happened? Yeah. now they're going back to the crib and it's just like i don't want that life i'd rather like the roots philadelphia's own another example those cats stuck by it man and like you know we're going out here playing you know for little money and then eventually the money started going up and then finally they just hit that point where now they're celebrities now they're on tv and it's just like they put in that work and i want to have that control where if i want an artist to work with somebody that I, I respect or that we respect as a band, um, mm-hmm. we can, you know, negotiate something versus like, oh, you know, we're getting hired. Like, if they're going to hire us, it's like, you got to go through the management. You got to go through all of this stuff. Like, it ain't going right, to be right. that easy. Like, so having the control is important, man. So for you, were you um, were you sort of the the catalyst behind putting this band together? Are you, are you one of the band leaders or did you... And the reason why I'm asking this is mm-hmm. I think from the outside, from the outside, people may say, yeah, that's easy for you, Corey, because you, um, you sort of have, maybe you have some business acumen or you know how to like put this band together and you know how to book gigs and all that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. I don't have that. I, you know, I, I don't know how to like do all that kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, I won't say I'm the lead. I I will say I did help put the band together. Um, cause I mean, basically me, and DJ Harrison, Devon Harris, you know, we're, we basically, I mean, I kind of came to him and like, yo, we got to play. Let's just play some shows. And it just happened organically. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. forced. And like then Andrew, well, first it was my friend named Chris Smith, amazing bass player, originally from Minneapolis, but lives in New York. He would come down to Virginia and we would just work on beats and uh, kind of more of a production vibe. And we did one little tour in L.A., back in 2012 but it was like literally we didn't have a band name and one day i just came up with butcher brown and so like that was it but then he soon left he only was with us for like a, not even a year and then my friend andrew randazzo came in and he's from virginia and so basically it's been an original band you know he we're like the original original three i guess and then right. we brought in because um we had a guitar player named keith askey Still a good friend. He moved out to L.A., so he's doing that. But um, oh, okay. we have a guy named Morgan Burrs on guitar now, younger guy, and then Marcus Tenney playing saxophone and trumpet. Um, and so, like, you know, it's it, it happened, man. It just happened naturally, dude. Uh, right. Like, I mean, I was the one that reached out to the, get the new guitar player, Morgan. I was like, man, you want to be in a band? Like, we're trying to find somebody, and we thought of you. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I helped facilitate a lot of these things, but... You know, we always reach a consensus by, you know, everybody voting almost. So like, okay, you cool with that? How do you feel about this? Like, right. hey, man. Um, and we have a manager now. We have booking agents. So like, we don't have to deal with the booking. Right. So, but um, you, everyone chimes in, man. I mean, it's totally that. Like, and that's what's important. But, you know, I will say that I think I can safely say that without them getting mad at me. And I don't think they would, obviously. But because we're brothers. And I did help form this i mean 
you know, I was like, man, I want to play. Like, let's do something. Right. Let's do this. And so, yeah, man, I'm fortunate that, like, it's been able to blossom and we've gotten a lot of wonderful opportunities. Mm -hmm. And I've always, I mean, as, as drummers, it's hard because, you know, most of the time we are side men, but I've always been an advocate of like, go out, start your own band, hire the people that you want to hire. And you know what, if you don't have the, if you don't have the business skills or the, or the, the networking and booking skills and all that kind of stuff, like get somebody in the band who can get your brother-in-law. If he's good at that kind of thing, like, Whoever you yeah. can to figure out that side of it, just like put the band together. Like for me, I was always like, you know, every band, uh, I think every band except two that I played in, I started, you know? And it was yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because same deal. Like I want to have control of what I do and I, you know, that's just, that's just my DNA. But like I was always a business guy, but if I wasn't, I'd find someone, you know, find yeah. someone who, who understands that. And if you're just starting a band, you don't need, you know, you don't need someone that knows how to book Madison Square Garden. You need somebody who oh, knows right. how to go to the local club and be like, can I put these four guys in here? You know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it I doesn't mean, have to be that difficult. Totally. And like, I mean, I can't even, like, I can't, I couldn't do this on my own. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't know how right. some artists are like, got their band, but you know, and it's just them. And it's just like, yeah, that's, that's too much for me. Like I like having help hands. Right. Like, I mean, and you know, I'm sure if maybe it could have been something different, but I just felt like playing music with my friends, to be honest. And right. it just turned into the thing. And now we're here. That's, uh, I mean, that, that works, right? I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. Yeah. So it's not like anything was forced or contrived or anything like that. So tell, so talk about the band a little bit, like where, where are you guys playing? Where's the best place that like people can find out information about it? Uh, Cause I watched, I don't know a couple of like hours of the of videos. So oh, I feel sweet, like people, cool. so yeah, people yeah, should yeah. definitely go, uh, should definitely go check out Butcher Brown. So talk about uh, like what you guys have coming up. Oh, well, man, we got, this month is about to get crazy. So actually tomorrow, I'm actually about to start packing some stuff because uh, tomorrow we, uh, we have a bunch of press stuff and we're going to New York. And so hopping in that van, we got a little sprinter van that we always rent. So uh, there you go. shout out to enterprise. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Yeah, man, we we drive up to New York. Tomorrow we do some stuff at NPR's WBGO um, mm -hmm. in New Jersey and Newark. And then uh, we do something in New York City at Turntable Lab. We're doing like a little in-store concert, a little show at 6 p.m. Saturday night, we're at the Blue Note. Um, we're doing the late night, set, uh, late night set right after Chris Bodie. Um, we started at like 1230. But yeah, Saturday night, it's going to be cool. And then, um, yeah, man, just we're in the studio a lot trying to finish up this record. Um, we're doing a cat. We're doing this capital jazz, smooth jazz cruise <laughs> in a couple weeks, which should be fun. That's um, cool. yeah. And then, um, later this in February, we got some tour, um, some shows coming up, but everything is on our website at butcherbrown.com. And, um, we have, a, we're on Instagram and Facebook and, all, and Twitter as well. So like we always update everything so like people can find out where to catch us. And, you know, we have we're getting ready to do another European tour, I think, in May. Um, we're doing another, you know, U.S. tour as well, like a longer extended tour in the spring and April. Um, so, yeah, a lot of things coming up. I mean, 2018 was big for us. Um, we were touring with Kamasi Washington back in November, mm -hmm. which was uh, pretty epic. Uh, He's insane, man. Yeah, and it was awesome, man. You know, like, so, I mean, they were all real cool. Um yeah. So like, did you know? Did you know any man. of those guys before or no? I knew Ronald Bruner. Um, okay. I knew. Um, I don't know anybody else. I met Kamasi like once. I knew Ryan Porter, the trombone player, a little bit, mm -hmm. but um, not didn't really know any of the guys, man. But everybody was chill. It was fun. Nice. You know, and being put in front of these like huge audiences, man. Like, I mean, it wasn't like the opening band where nobody was there. Like, dude, we got in there. People knew who we were, and we're like playing in front of 2000 people and it was just like yo this energy is crazy that's a great feeling it, so, sh it shows know. that that the hard work is is paying off you know yeah man it was little time man so it's like small victories you know we you know we try to keep everything airtight man the business side of it too so like you know we have the whole formula down with you know the bank accounts and just all the stuff that i feel like you should have you should take care of to start a band and I have to I have to also thank Nate Smith for helping us getting yeah. all that stuff together early on. I mean, he we did a we skyped with him 
like four years ago and he was just like, all right, I want to just, you know, tell you guys like this is what you have to do in order to stay out here because if you don't do these things, this is how bands, bands will break up. Right. And so he just gave us the 411 and like, you know, we've stuck by it. It's it blows my mind that that people shy away from that stuff. Like nobody oh, wants know. to talk about like the money and the business side of it. And, all, and I'm like, I, you don't have to make the whole thing about business and money, but you better have that stuff. Like you said, you better keep it airtight. Yeah, because, you know, people on the other side are talking about it at the labels. They're of always course. talking about money. They want to figure out how they can not spend as much. Right. Or <laughs> get as artist. much from so, the band. So it's important for us to talk as well and like also have conversations with other artists and other bands. Like I called up one of my close friends um, <clears throat> last week, uh, another drummer, Jamison Ross, just to like kind of had I just had some questions for him about some other stuff, man, that mm -hmm. we're trying to do. And I just wanted to see, like, you know, what he dealt with and whatnot. And so just just to know, because it's just like, man, if we don't talk about it, then we'll just forever be green and, like, keep getting thrown around like no one cares. Yeah. I mean, you look, you, you mentioned TLC. I mean, they were a uh, they were like super successful and they found out that they were they were in debt, like millions of dollars in debt because of the, yeah. the agreements and the contracts that they have with the label. Exactly. And it's just so, like, you know, we always want to see paperwork. You know, we always want to, uh, you know, we have a we have a lawyer that deals with a lot of the contractual stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, and we'll sit we'll call them up. We'll sit down with them. I'll go down to Virginia and like we'll have coffee or something just to discuss these things. And so, you know, because, you know, some of the way that stuff is worded, you know, it's it's it doesn't make sense half the time. So you need to right. have people around that understand that language. Um, yep. Yeah, man, cause you're, or else you'll get screwed over out here. For sure. And yeah, it's and not I just mean, about being killing. It's not. It's not good. It's not just about being great drummer or great whatever. You know, you have to know the other side and how to avoid <coughs> sharks. Yep. Yeah, and I'm glad we're. T I mean, I'm I'm glad we're talking about this too because it's super important for people to to hear and understand. And and even if, like we said, like you don't want to do it then just get somebody else to do it. Get a lawyer to look at the paperwork, get a manager oh, yeah. who can, who can, you know, handle the business stuff, like get someone who can at least help you out with it. If you, if you never want to look at it or talk about it, at least get someone who's in your corner that you trust that can, that can help you, you know, walk down that road because you're going to need it. Yeah. I mean, Christian, you know, and you know, I've, Christian Scott, who's been like the ultimate big brother to me has mm -hmm. always, you know, always made sure to like you know explain all of the, the business stuff to me like you know but i would ask questions and like he was totally open because i mean there is a you know there are cats that are like gatekeepers and that want to hoard connections and like just yeah. not share and you're just like why what's yep. the point and you know you obviously know who to stay away from if it's going to be like that but uh yeah like man you know for me you know, if I find out some information in a younger dude, you know, that may be trying to figure out his way into the industry, you know, wants some life lessons, like I'm going to share that detail because it's important to pass it on. So, you know, we can change the whole landscape of the way all of this stuff operates, you know? Yep. Yep. For sure. I agree, man. Well, on that note, um, I want to tell you that one, I appreciate you coming on to the podcast to talk to me about all this stuff Two, I want to tell you to keep doing what you're doing, man. You have a unique sound. You have a unique vibe. I, like I said, off air and on air, like I was going down the rabbit hole of just watching video after video, because I think that what you do behind the kit is unique and, and just, there's just something about your playing that really, that speaks to me, especially like you have this thing. I was, I was trying to like, think about how I could even explain it, but it feels like it's just like this ball that's like constantly rolling when you're playing. I don't know if that, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that makes any sense at all, no, but I it's like, you. it's, I don't know. Like to me, if, like if I was trying to play that, it would just sound like me just playing like all over the place, but you can do it eloquently. And it, it just has like this, this momentum, like this, it's almost like a sense of urgency, but not in a bad way. Right, right. I mean, I think that's an interesting point because, I mean, I try to, I think my playing reflects my personality. I'm always trying to move forward, mm -hmm. you know, and, you yep. know, I think that's, that's kind of what plays out 
you know, it, when I play the does. drums. Yeah. I didn't explain it very well, but that's, that was the best no, I could do. It just no, felt I like... totally, I totally hear you. No, I understand. I, I know exactly. You, you explained it perfectly. Like I hear okay. I definitely, no, I, I definitely know what you're, where you're coming from. <laughs> well, cool. Sometimes I'm like, man, am I pushing too much? No, but. No, it I doesn't, it. it, it doesn't feel put. I mean, to me anyway, you know, it just feels like, like you're, I feel like you're just the, you know, like you're, you're leaving it out a lot. You're leaving it all on the field. <laughs> I think that's how that's how I feel when you play. So hey, man, that's that's what I try to do. I appreciate yeah. it, man. Of course, I appreciate you. Like I said, being here, doing this, uh, taking the time to chat. I I respect all the stuff that you're doing. I commend you for going out and and doing it on your own and and wanting to to take control of your career. And I recommend everyone one check out Butcher Brown, but also just check out Corey on Instagram. And it's just Corey Fonville, so it's just his first and last name. Check him Easy. out. At, uh, yeah, it's super easy. And uh, and Corey, safe travels out there on the road, man. Thank you again for, for being a part of this, and thanks for what you're contributing to the drumming community. Thank you, man, and hopefully um, I'll run into you in Philly at some point soon. Yeah, that would be great. There you have it, starting off 2019 with an awesome conversation with Corey Fonville. I hope you dug that. For the show notes, you know you can go to drummersresource.com forward slash session 458. And, man, there is a lot of stuff popping off in 2019. I'm super excited. I got a lot of great interviews lined up. I got a couple repeat or one repeat specifically that I can think of that uh, it's definitely worth a repeat visit from this dude. And so stick around if you're new to the podcast dig into the crates i mean there's 450 some interviews and you can find them all on itunes and on drummers resource and stitcher and all that kind of stuff also if you've been digging the podcast for a while do me a favor leave a rating or a review on itunes i don't care if it's good or bad i want a real honest review because i always read them and i always you know take that into consideration moving forward with the episode so with that i wish all of you a awesome 2019 happiness success and fulfillment, health, all of that fun stuff. And I'll be back with another episode next week. Peace.